Hello and welcome to our podcast on EU and the EU bubble of regulatory affairs. Today we're looking at ESG's disclosure, which of course has been in the eyesight of all stakeholders and EU regulators for the last three, four years, but really going into a, a dynam more dynamic mode in the last year and a half. The communication on the Green Deal really set that, that conversation on sustainability rather than just the E of the ESG. And that, that is key to looking at corporate governance. Too many of companies worldwide, but also in the EU, are still focusing on short-term financial performance as compared to long-term development and sustainability, which is essential if we're able to change the dynamics around climate change, the environment, but also the social challenges that we have seen coming up in the period of the pandemic. Sustainability encompasses and encourages businesses to frame decisions in terms of environmental, including climate and biodiversity, social and human impact, looking at the long term rather than short term gains. And the Sustainable Corporate Governance Initiative was listed really as one of the top priorities of, of the EU Commission for the coming year. So it's in the action plan on the circular economy, the biodiversity, even in the agricultural side on the farm to fork strategies. And it is part of a renewed focus on corporate governance that is going to come out very shortly in the first half of this year. So really what is at the heart when we look at the interaction between institutional investors, investors in general, and companies is what are they disclosing? Financial reporting, but also non-financial. And there is a forthcoming review, of course, of the non-financial reporting directive. But to put it into context for a CFA institute, CFA is really... Um, very strongly of the opinion that the integration of material ESG factors in, in the investment process is not a violation of our fiduciary duty. So it is a very important aspect. And we do support mandated disclosures of investment managers um, re regarding how they're covering the integration of ESG. We favor a comply or explain model for disclosure requirements around material ESG data. And we also support the efforts of, of organizations like the Sustainability Accounting Standards Board, SASB, and the Task Force on Climate-Related Financial Disclosures, TCFD, for focusing on disclosure and engagement standards uh, around material ESG metrics. Now, today, we are looking at a report that we have uh, done around ESG's disclosure, which came out recently and which can be found on our website. And I have with me one of the members who was part of the working group on this report. He is Luca Grasadonia, and he is a corporate finance consultant for Creston and a member of our CFA Society Italy. And he took part in the working group and gave us his very valuable feedback. So today I will have some questions for him. But before I, I turn to him, let me quickly look at some of the issues around the review of the non-financial reporting directive. So currently, this directive requires large public interest companies, listed big firms, big banks, insurance firms, to include a statement on non-financial information. The European Commission has run a public consultation, which was done in the first half of 2020, and is expected to put forward a proposal in the coming weeks. So this is very imminent. 
We, as CFA Institute, responded to the consultation in June 2020, and we highlighted the problematic interaction between the NFRD, the Non-Financial Reporting Directive, and other pieces of legislation. There are overlaps, and the current rules need to be streamlined and clarified. So this situation does lead to regulatory arbitrage, and there are loopholes and overlaps that need to be really taken into account and, 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 and addressed. There's also a scarcity of publicly available on non-financial matters and sustainability issues. So it, it's not comparable. It's not reliable enough. There are multiplicity of sources. And this is something that our members highlighted worldwide already back in 2016, 2017, when we did a very large ESG survey. Now, turning to Luca. When we look at the upcoming revision of the non-financial reporting directive, do you think that the concept of materiality for non-financial information should be reinforced or clarified? Look up. First of all, thank you, Georgina, for having me today. Uh, regarding uh, your question, well, uh, I was really happy about the, the first definition of materiality which came out from the non-financial reporting directive because uh, it is a definition which is uh, quite flexible and uh, includes both uh, impacts uh, of a firm's activity on uh, to the outside and uh, on the performance of the firm itself so the evolution of this concept, which was the dual materiality concept uh, of the EU taxonomy, in a way uh, lacks this kind of flexibility because uh, it does not include uh, any feedback uh, effect. It just uh, looks at how a company influences or is influenced by the outside but there is no uh, relation between these two different uh, environments. So this means that the company has actually no control of what it is doing. It's just uh, on the receiving end at the end of the day. And uh, this is a lack of that. Uh, uh, it's uh, really uh, on, uh, detrimental to investors and to companies because uh, Really, they, they are invited to, to report on things that uh, could not really matter for their activity, everyday activity. Yeah. So uh, if I was, if it were me, I would leave uh, the definition as it, of materiality as it is. But uh, I am afraid that the, the new directive will switch to the dual materiality concept. Thank you. I think that you that that was very clear, and it was very clear also on the challenges that companies face. You know, we have a tendency when we do EU regulation, and I say we, I mean the policymakers. I would say that there is a reflection in silos, really, um, about what you know. There's a regulation for the companies. There's a regulation for investors. There's a regulation for sort of retail investors. But there's not really enough on the sort of the, the the interaction between the investors and the companies, and it tends to lead to confusions. And I think you know this is something that will need to be ironed out. Also, sort of the you know what the taxonomy is needing, and really what what it, what we're saying in non financial in in non in the non financial reporting directive. So thank you for highlighting that. And also let me look at the 
lack of consensus on the classification of ESG characteristics. There, there's this lack of consensus is is normal in a way because ESG is dynamic. It's still moving. There's a, a many multiple interpretations. But we still need to drive on comparability. Now, in our report, we underlined that there is this lack of consensus on the definition of ESG and sustainability. And there are so many organizations worldwide as well that have all these different concepts flying around. So how really can we define products with sustainable characteristics? Well, first of all, I am a little bit amused that there is still uh, no consensus of what uh, sustainability is about. I mean, sustainable development is a concept which was originated by the United Nations in 1987. So 38 years after that, we are still discussing what it's all about. Uh, having said that, I would focus uh, on the fact that uh, when we talk about sustainability, sustainability investment products or ESG. What we're really talking about is the use of non-financial information in the daily management of portfolios or companies. And so I, I personally would focus on investment strategies and how this non-financial information is used by investment firms. So, for example, there was uh, there has been a, a definition of uh, different ESG investment strategies also in a recent uh, report by the CFA Institute, which is trying to um, regulate or define uh, the matter. And that is perfectly fine to me because at the end of the day, as you said, uh, sustainability and non-financial information by itself is a dynamic concept, is ever-changing, it will always be this way by definition. So what really matters is, uh, for, for, uh, from the point of view of the investor, is to understand how this information is used. And I wouldn't go any further as to define which is uh, good or bad, because it's the same thing with financial information. So I, I don't see any reason to change uh, this approach. Yeah, that's pragmatism, and that's markets evolve, and you you very you're you're very realistic on that concept, and I think quite rightly so. We cannot sometimes we cannot put in a box what cannot be put in a box if it needs to be dynamic and evolve, and maybe that's a good thing. But now looking at some of some of the contrasting language between the different um, pieces of legislation. You know, you mentioned materiality. Um, you know, we're we're looking. We've been looking. Everybody has been looking at the taxonomy and the SFDR. SFDR, you know, is imminent. Uh, the challenges are there. Um, I was listening to a, a big asset manager explaining how all the different teams in in the, their organization were focusing on on applying the different rules and how challenging it was and. I think that the, the the industry is really facing one of its biggest challenges, and it's it's not just in the run up to 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 the March deadline, but it is also afterwards. Now, 
when we look at sort of the the contrasting language in the NFRD, Non-Financial Reporting Directive, the SFDR and taxonomy, how can we align corporate disclosures, which are under the NFDR, with together with the disclosure requirements in the taxonomy and SFDR? Do you have a miracle solution to it, Luca? Unfortunately, I do not. What I, I would suggest is uh, to go a little bit of beyond the history, to look at the history of these um, uh, different regulations. Well, the NFRD was really a neutral regulation. So it, it, uh, it just was a way to help companies understand how to report non-financial information. The taxonomy on the other hand, it's a policy instrument because the taxonomy was really meant to be a way to, to push companies towards a certain kind of economic development. So how do you combine the two? Well, I don't think it's really possible. And I think that it's the, it's the taxonomy which is actually the odd man out here, because if the EU has a policy that they want to implement, it should just implement it and not force companies to do their own job, their own bidding with this lateral approach. Regarding the SFDR, well, SFDR is caught in the middle, as you say, because people think that they should disclose according to the SFDR, the investment companies using the taxonomy, but the Taxonomy reporting is not yet there, and I, my personal feeling is that we will never see it. It's only a personal opinion. And then they have to, to engage with the, what the NFRD is giving them. And the other problem is that this is uncovering the fact that most of the investment industry doesn't really know how to handle non-financial information. Many thought that the ESG ratings were a shortcut to that, but they are, they are realizing that they are not because they have to report much, in much deeper detail what they're doing. So how do you do that? Well, you have to start doing, again, your own job, which is analyzing companies, reading the reports, making a sense of the, of, uh, the reports that uh, you're reading and uh, formulating uh, an investment policy on that. And that, of course, is the essence of what it is to be a CFA analyst. Yes. And it goes to the heart of, of our charter. And it's, 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 it really points to, you know, you have, this, you have this essential duty, which is really analyzing the company on its 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 financial statements and it 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 brings it back to the essence but we are living in this world where unfortunately the taxonomy and the sfdr and you know non-financial reporting and directive revision will be with us and we we will need to bring in that tale of realism i think and i think we are see, seeing it i think esma the european uh, super Supervisory Authority on the Capital Markets in Europe is already bringing that discussion to more realism. And I think that is good. And I think as we go down the road of applying all these legislations, that realism will set in. It also set in for MIFID. So, um, and MIFID was seven years in the making and highly complex. So I'm hopeful that we, we will adapt and, and bring it to the reality that you describe. Now, going into another piece of reality um, and looking to the challenge 
challenges in our report on due diligence disclosure across the supply chain. That is a real challenge for companies. And how far do you go? Do you go to your immediate suppliers? How far do you go down the chain? The European Commission, DG Justice, published a study on due diligence, which is very significant with a lot of case studies, a lot of work in it. And I would recommend those who listen to, to, to look at this study. It was published in January 2020. And it, it looked at the different options that were available um, for regulating this. No policy change at all, looking at voluntary guidelines or new rules regarding due diligence reporting and a new regulation imposing due diligence as a legal duty of care. Now, three Three different options. Um, the aim was to encourage the inclusion of adverse corporate impacts on human rights and environment. But introducing a legal duty concerning the disclosure of due diligence would possibly be the most effective. And, you know, we have, of course, when we discuss corporate governance, there's always this this emphasis between the voluntary influencing behavior and regulation. And on the continent, the, the European continent, we, we are used to looking and obeying regulation and otherwise we don't do it. Voluntary guidelines are difficult. So how what might be the challenges there? But the study in the end does find that voluntary requirements could be more effective. And this might be a change in focus on corporate governance on the continent that is that might be very significant. So look out, what 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 do you think about this? Should due diligence across the supply chain be included in companies' disclosure? How far should we go? Okay, my view is that the inclusion of uh, due diligence of uh, the supply chain uh, depends on the industry or the sector of the companies involved. Because to be a sustainability topic or a lever, this kind of this due diligence must be actionable by companies. It means that companies must have the ability to act and on this thing because it is tied to their strategic and operational decision. Other words, it's under their direct control. So in, in those cases, uh, it is fine to ask for the diligence of the supply chain. Otherwise, it's really going too far. And uh, let, let's not hide the fact that uh, as long as uh, we would like to uh, make uh, this world a better place and um, uh, look for uh, human rights of everybody. There are some supply chains which, which are entirely covered by countries which do not abide to our own uh, uh, principles. And uh, it would be really too much to ask for companies to have, uh, to have uh, an influence on uh, the decisions which are really on a country or a supranational level. And also another thing is that uh, we cannot ask, uh, there is a problem of uh, the supplier of the supplier, which means that uh, uh, sometimes uh, how, how, long, how far do you go, as, as you say? And uh, I mean that if the, the, the decision of uh, the supply chain, which supply chain uh, to use, it's uh, direct out, out, uh, under the direct control of a company, well, that, that's, that is fine to ask for due diligence. Otherwise, uh, uh, really, if I, I am uh, to select uh, 
a supplier, but I cannot really control which what a supplier is doing. That I, I think is is not practical or material to to have a due diligence. So it it should be industry specific and uh, and on the regarding the industries which can do something about it, really. Luca, I I love your pragmatism. I, I think uh, we could do with more pragmatism when we look at, at, at legislation specifically in ESG and, and corporate governance. And I think what is important is to let companies also some breathing space. Um, they're being highly challenged by this pandemic, but it is important that they are transparent. So I think as we have highlighted in this conversation, the challenges are very much upon both the investment industry and the legislator to make sure that we don't drown in obligations, but that we also have enough obligations to ensure that there is a fair investment and that the, the transparency is there. That balance is is something that the EU Commission will need to will need to address in its in its forthcoming revisions. Luca, thank you very much for the conversation. Thank you. You're welcome, Georgina. Thank you. Thank you.